Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of In the Tenth Fast and Furious Movie, They Will Go to Space. I'm your host, Andrew Ferguson, and joining me for this episode is noted Fast and Furious scholar, Kit Thompson. Kit, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. This is very exciting. I watched every single Fast and the Furious uh, in preparation, so I'm very excited. I opened the Fast and Furious Wikipedia page in preparation, so I'm feeling like we're on the same same level here. I put a lot of effort into. Oh, yeah. It's equal effort. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually really impressed when I invited you to come be on the show, and your first response was to schedule it such that you had time for a full rewatch in preparation. Well, I think it's important. There's There's so many things that you forget in the entire Fast saga that, you know, there's all those mm-hmm. little nuances about... You know, their time down in uh, Miami, for example. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, really, I think this is going to, the the 10th movie is going to involve so many of those callbacks to like Jesse or whatever from the first movie, right? Like maybe he'll come back. <laughs> yeah, maybe he'll come back. Yeah. They have been doing that a little bit. Like I've talked before on this podcast about the two eras of Fast and Furious movies, which I think is a concept that you're familiar with, or perhaps you're even the person who introduced me to it, but there's sort of... I know four is the one where they try and reinvent it, but to me, it's one to four and then five to present are the two eras. Yeah, I I mean, I really see four as kind of the intermediary one where they they were so close. Yeah, that's where they tried to kind of reinvent it as that ensemble action movie. And then with five, they kind of drifted a bit more into the like fun comedic aspects of it. And that's where I feel like it connected. But ever since it entered that era, they've started doing more and more like callbacks and references and stuff like that. Like when Lucas Black was introduced in seven kind of thing that was like, Oh, that's the one person we haven't had the guy from Tokyo drift yet. Like this is a character who's come back kind of thing. Uh, That's totally fair. I, in this most recent rewatch, I I remembered that, uh, that Hugo shows back up. I, I, I think his name is Hugo. Oh God. Who's Hugo? Yeah, right. So it's so funny. I rewatched all of these and uh, have now forgotten everything. But uh, I believe it's seven where they bring back race wars. Oh, my God. Yeah, Hugo. Mm-hmm. OK, that's that character. That's that character's name. Yes. Yeah. 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 He's where you been, ghost girl. Right. To Letty. Yes, exactly. That's that's what he says in in seven. And in the first one, he buys like three sets of everything. So Brian Spilner gets suspicious. Mm -hmm. I mean, I forgot his character name, but also I forget everybody's character name. I keep referring to Detective Paul Walker all the time. That's fair. I think part of the reason why it didn't matter to me too much that I remember that character's name is just I really like that actor. Like he mostly does small bit parts, but... I'm always really happy when I see him in movies, you know? He's got a very that guy energy. Yeah, he's he's definitely one of those character actors that's always like, yeah, you're you're so-and-so. And mm-hmm. now, of course, I'm always going to think of him as Hugo. And boy, I yeah. hope I'm getting that right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you one thing for sure. It doesn't matter. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember either. Yeah, they have been making you know those little bits and pieces here and there little references back to those ones to yeah to remind everybody that this still is the same universe where they're stealing dvd tv crt things yeah yeah those 13 inch crt is big money oh i mean it was it was like close to two million dollars it's not nothing in 2001 that's true what do you think you could get for that today a semi-truck full of 13-inch TV VCR combos. I think you could get a lot of fun with a hammer. <laughs> yeah. No, I would I would invest in power bars and build like a 3D sculpture that's basically just like a mountain of them and like find ways to output like video art to it so that I have just like this huge chaotic mountain of all these different TVs playing different things. Oh, yeah, you could make something real interesting. I would build a sculpture. I can't sell that for anything. You like you practically have to pay somebody to take it off your hands. But you could make art. Yeah, not not small, compact art uh, as, you know, early 2000s never was, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Well, we brought you on this podcast to talk about the 10th movie. We've talked a little bit about the callbacks, and I would very much now like to ask you the pivotal question, which is, in the 10th Fast and Furious movie, they will go to space. We know this for a fact. It's definitely happening. It's been confirmed in so many different ways to all of us, both physically and spiritually. And what I want to know is, as an expert in the area, how do you think they're going to get there? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. And you're absolutely right. There's no doubt that they are absolutely going to space in the 10th Fast and the Furious movie. And I was I was realizing just as just as we were getting prepared for this podcast that I put no thought or, or effort whatsoever in preparing for how they I would actually get there because it's just it's always been just this assumption that it will in fact happen. I mean, does it come down to how physically do they get to space or mm-hmm. what is the mechanism for going to space? Like what's the plot reason? It's both is is the answer that I'm looking for. Yeah. But it's a it's a very open-ended question on purpose. Like we've tackled it from in previous episodes, my guests and I have tackled it from a, you know, we'll start with the mechanism first and then find our way to the plot, such as in the first episode with Graham Stark where he kind of windmill slammed railgun and we started from there and went exploring. Whereas in my episode with Molly Lewis, we kind of went on a very long character and narrative journey before we realized that the mechanism by which they would get to space was, in fact, the chandelier hot air balloon from Cats. Oh, well, that makes sense. Yes, of course. Yeah. So when I, when I think about them going to space, which they have to do, mm-hmm. they have to drive in space, right? Like they can't just be flying. Yeah. Like it's. It's possible for them to do that. Like, sure, you know, we could throw them on the vomit comet or they could go on a space shuttle or whatever. And it's like, ah, they're in space. But if they're not driving up there, is it really fast and furious? Right. In space, there has to be a American muscle car. Mm -hmm. Roman has to be driving some sort of $3 million Lamborghini, (laughs) whatever. The showiest thing we can get our hands on. Yeah, exactly. Mia has to be driving some sort of, like classic import they have to be doing that they can't just all be in the same space shuttle oh hobbs of course has to presumably launch a hummer into space yeah i think in one of my other recent episodes we we somewhat established that the fast and furious crew follows the the paw patrol rule where every character has a carsona that matches them oh yeah of course i mean it's a i always consider the from five on, well, yeah. maybe even from uh, earlier, but the Fast and the Furious movies, they're not really car movies, they're Dungeons and Dragons movies. Yes. Whose vehicles for the characters are cars, are vehicles, I guess. I, I love that that it became a thing to the point that the the movies themselves started to joke about that. I believe it's it's seven or eight where one of them makes a reference to the fact that they need to go to a local street race and get some cars and they just excise that scene. It just smash cuts to them driving back in brand new cars. Yeah. I, I want to say that was fast five when they need to get the uh, super fast invisible cars to break into the, uh, the bank. Okay. Yeah. Maybe that was it when they're trying to, when they're trying to get cars for the, to do the, the track that they have set up for the security cameras. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's that's when that happens. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely a D&D group where, sadly, O'Connor's no longer with us, but, you know, he would drive the, the Supra or the, the GTR or whatever. And yeah, it, so like that needs to be, we need to translate that, that to space. And I don't think rocket ships are the way that you do that just because. Okay, yeah, I'm on board. So there needs to be a reason why cars are in space. Yeah, so this is where it gets tricky because the obvious mechanisms for getting them there are like, you know, the the nobody corporation or whatever needs to do some bullshit in outer space. Can I swear on this podcast? Absolutely. Great. You know, that's that's been the, the entire plot of every Fast and the Furious movie since they introduced uh, Mr. Nobody is like, eh, he just needs you to do something. So you go go do it in space. So like 
the re- but the reason they need to use cars it's got to be like a like you know armageddon the yeah with the miners yeah right like they had to send bruce willis because he was a miner right wait it wasn't miners they were like a they were an oil drilling crew wasn't it yes i'm gonna look hang on a second i'm gonna look this up i'm sadly not a bruce willis scholar who the fuck were those guys in Armageddon? Were they like miners or oil dudes or just Chippendales send tweet? That did get me a lot of Armageddon themed answers, but it starts off with quotes from Steve Buscemi, which is interesting. Oh, he was uh, totally in that movie. He was totally in that fucking movie. Yes. Yeah. fucking Billy Bob Thornton's in there. J.J. Abrams worked on the screenplay. Of course he did. Yeah, that that absolutely tracks. So yeah, the Fast and the Furious crew, along with Steve Buscemi, need to get to space for some reason because they're the only people capable of driving in space. Yes. I have established that Bruce Willis and his crew were the best deep sea oil drillers in the world which I guess is a thing they give out awards for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels like the way they would tackle this in the 10th movie is that nobody would ask them to go to space and would want them to do a bunch of stuff. And the the family themselves would be the ones saying like, hey, we got to do this our way. We got to do this with cars. But in other times, it feels like cars are the reason that they call the family kind of thing. It's like, hey, we know this has to be done with cars. We got to call our car people, you know, Get Vin Diesel on the phone. Yeah, exactly. What's the what's the line from Fast Five? You don't pick up Shaw like you pick up groceries to catch wolves. You need wolves. Yes. Yeah. Oh God, I, that iteration of the Rock's character, complete with the goatee, was like they softened him in later movies. But good lord, I found that initial iteration of that character fun. He was perfect in five there was not a single line that he spoke that wasn't just the perfect encapsulation of who that (laughs) cop was it just everything he spoke was just a glorious cliche yeah it was amazing and he was so sweaty he glistened the whole time (laughs) they had to have somebody like a pa or somebody who's like just off camera with one of those misters full of olive oil Right. There must be in the credits, Mr. to Mr. Johnson, right? Like that had to have been a role. Mr. Mr. Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Johnson, Mr. Yeah. I always assumed that that was the reward for being the best boy, but I don't really know much (laughs) about the movie industry. Yeah. You get to oil up good old Dwayne Rock. Rock the Dwayne Johnson. Rock the Dwayne Johnson. He's my favorite. But- Sadly, tragically, there's not a high... Well, there's a chance that he could be in this one with the 10th movie. They could be like, haha, crossover. But it does feel like him and Jason Statham have been sent off to the the spinoff mines. So I've, I've often been operating on the assumption that they wouldn't be in the 10th one. But I could see how they could, they could justify it. Because it is... Like, 10's a big number. It's got two digits. And uh, this is false, but the 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 scuttlebutt is that the tenth movie will be the final movie. Yes, which we know now actually for sure is false. I believe. Let me double check here, but I believe that they have confirmed the announcement of the untitled eleventh film. These movies make more money than God. They're not going to stop making them. The eleventh film is planned to end the franchise with Justin Lin returning to direct. Justin Lin, who will also be directing the untitled 10th film, as well as what I've recently learned, the best way to pronounce it is F9. <laughs> yes. Because the title is just F9. Yes. Well, the title is F9, the Fast Saga. F9, the Fast Saga. I'm so glad they finally canonized a way to refer to these movies, because up until now, it's been a cluster of titles. It's true, but it has given us a very good Twitter joke format out of it, though. (laughs) You can basically take any concept that has two things in it 
Oh, yeah. And then those nouns into the Fast and Furious titles, send it out as a tweet, and you're practically guaranteed some retweets. Well, and and you, of course, you can to whatever, to whatever, anything as well. Yeah. Yeah, the, the titles so far have been great narrative fodder. Yeah, the 11th is supposedly the, the, the finisher. I've been somewhat taking the approach that I feel like the 10th, I feel like they are going to try and do their own little mini Infinity War here and have 10 end on a big cliffhanger. I could see that, yeah. 10 and 11 are a two-part sort of mm-hmm. thing where in the 10th movie, Maybe the 10th movie ends with them all floating off in space, gravity style, like what's his name? Ooh, George Clooney. Yeah. George Clooney. Yeah. Like yeah. They, were, they, they were part of something, but they had to eject and they're now completely untethered. Yeah. Orbiting the planet. And we don't know if it's going to even be possible to save them. Exactly. And then 11 picks up right in space where presumably they get back to Earth yeah. by pure testosterone. Mm hmm. Mm hmm which I believe can work as a fuel. That's got to be at least a quarter of what NOS is made of, right? <laughs> yeah, that's my understanding. Yeah, nitrous nitrous <laughs> oxide is is testosterone. At least one quarter testosterone. Yeah. Yeah. And the other half is baby oil. <laughs> yeah, this all tracks, yeah. I had a theory, especially after seeing her in the F9 trailer, that back when I thought there were only going to be 10 movies that Cypher, portrayed by Charlize Theron, would be kind of the big bad of the final trilogy. But now that's been expanded to a fourth movie, I'm like, okay, I don't know that Cypher has the staying power that she's still going to be around in 10 and 11. But she does have lots of like, she's like evil Mr. Nobody in a lot of ways at this point, right? She is also just, oh, I have wild technology and resources and don't worry about it kind of thing. There's a magnet plane in the trailer for F9, so... Oh, yeah, right. She just has absolutely infinite resources. My theory with her is that that Hobbs and Shaw is not as disconnected as it appears to be, and that Etion, I think, is the is the evil corporation that controlled what's his name? The yeah. Black Superman. Brixton. Brixton, yes. I it yeah. is one of that is the Fast and the Fierce movie I did not watch uh, during this rewatch, so I don't remember any characters' names. Ryan Reynolds in Brixton, heading up Etienne. And and so like my theory is that this mysterious evil corporation that has presumably unlimited resources and Charlize Theron, who also has presumably unlimited resources, are in some way connected. Okay. Through space lasers that are on cars. I think actually it's perhaps the other way around. It is not that the lasers are on cars. It is that the cars are on lasers. You're familiar with the concept of holograms, right? Yes. And you're familiar with the sci-fi concept of hard light holograms, which are just holograms that have a physical, like despite just being made out of light, it still has a physical presence. You can touch it. You can feel it kind of thing, right? So that's just like a real thing? No, I don't believe so. <laughs> but it's 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 a sci-fi trope that that comes up a lot. It's like, oh, hard light holograms. Yeah, that's just a thing. That's just you've cloned yeah. someone. Yeah. So here's the thing: holograms, light, lasers, also light. What if they're hard light lasers, and these lasers are what wind up being the track that the cars need to drive on in space? Oh, like uh, Rainbow Road style and Mario Kart. Yes. Exactly. Perfect. Complete with uh, uh, working gravity in a place that it shouldn't be, a la G.I. Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Another spectacular movie. And how is Channing Tatum not in these movies yet? Oh, God, right? Channing Tatum needs to be in a Fast and Furious movie. Hang on. I'm starting a new podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Channing Tatum will be in the 10th Fast and the Furious movie. (laughs) Yeah. In the 10th Fast and Furious movie, Channing Tatum will go to space. (laughs) 100%. Okay, so Channing Tatum is clearly the heavy for Mm -hmm. Fast 10. Yeah, because they they brought in John Cena as Dom's secret brother for (laughs) Fanine. So Channing Tatum's going to be in 10, and he's going to be the kind of the big draw. But where does his character fit into the pantheon here? Well, he's got to be related to someone, right? Like nobody enters the fast saga without 
being related to somebody. Dom's family now involves two cousins, uh, a sister, a brother. Like his family's huge. So it's is it O'Connor's evil brother? Oh, he could be O'Connor's evil brother because O'Connor doesn't have actual siblings, right? Not that we know of. I like him as O'Connor's evil brother because again, it's not that it's not that big a deal if we make somebody evil. We know that they're going to be good again if they're you know cool enough. Yeah, and and again, it could be the Deckard Shaw approach where he's evil mm-hmm. in ten, but is part of the family again in eleven, despite having killed. I don't know, probably Letty and Tej and Roman. Wow, okay. A theme of this podcast lately is that Ten is going to have a fucking body count. Well, yeah. You're not the first guest to suggest that several people will die. Of course, they have to. If this is going to be the Infinity War of the Fast Saga, then yes, Tej Parker is going to have to die. Damn it. Okay. I mean, that one hits me hard. Well, his role's redundant at this point. With Cypher. Right. Because we, well, with Cypher, but also with... Ramsey. Yes. I'm sorry. There's too many tech experts in these movies now. Yes. His role is, is redundant with Ramsey. Okay. So yeah, Tej, Tej is going to bite it. Mm-hmm. Presumably falling off the Rainbow Road. Yeah. That'll be the climax of the movie. Will be like this Rainbow Road style car chase on lasers I feel like it's in orbit around Earth to kind of give them some kind of like, I feel like it's in orbit around the Earth and they're able to bend these lasers such that we can do that because that gives us some kind of like obstacles and drama. They'll be the they'll be the evil racers, but we'll also have to account for all of these satellites that are orbiting the Earth in the opposite direction that we're driving. And we'll get it. We'll get a good like. You know how sometimes when you're in the middle of like a huge action scene, it can be fun to do like that perspective shot from far away. It'll just be like the perspective shot of Commander Chris Hadfield in a cameo on the ISS, just like looking out the window and like going, what in the world? And then it cuts back to like the huge loud Dolby sound and explosions as we drive on the lasers. That makes total sense. Yeah. And maybe that's it. Maybe they're driving around these space roads laser roads yeah they're driving around these rainbow roads to protect the earth from some sort of space debris or or evil mm-hmm. space mm-hmm. satellites or, or something along those lines maybe maybe i'm trying to think could etion have built a something in space in secret Oh, absolutely. That's within their grasp. But that's large enough to have gravity. I don't think Etienne built something that's large enough to have gravity. I think Etienne, like a lot of corporations, is very resource hungry and is looking for a way to achieve their evil means through capitalism. I think what Etienne did was they used their technology to send a small series of ships or drones out to the asteroid belt to get an asteroid full of valuable metals for them to mine and bring it back into Earth's orbit. Ah, yes. And it's a large enough asteroid that it has a small amount of gravity. There it is. Like a little bit less than the moon, right? It's effectively a second moon that's wreaking havoc on the planet down below, right? They didn't account for what this is going to do to the tides. They didn't account for... You know, all kinds of stuff. Oh, I like this. I think this makes a lot of sense. Like they're Etienne, who we're just using as the placeholder for generic evil, right? Like that's... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Great. So, and maybe that's how the space bridge actually comes into play here. Space, this rainbow road is Mm -hmm. almost more of like a tractor beam situation that's either bringing the asteroid closer to earth so that they can easily mine it like they can just use cars to drive between the two or something along those lines yeah and the fast family is driving along these lasers in an attempt to get to the asteroid what they are hoping to accomplish here is what they know that etienne doesn't is that etienne is not going to be able to control or manage this asteroid if they make too much of an adjustment it's just going to 
enter Earth's orbit in such a way that it's eventually going to crash down and destroy all life as we know it. So they are literally racing to save the planet from a kind of dinosaur level extinction event by driving on the rainbow road. That makes total sense because then you can get cars into space. It's big enough stakes past because we have to raise the stakes from nuclear bombs potentially going off in Chernobyl, right? No, no, Chernobyl was Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah, but the nuclear submarine in The Fate of the Furious. Right. And I feel like we've done that with this theory. These stakes are much higher. Life as we know it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is definitely mission and freaking sanity. (laughs) It sure is. This is how Channing Tatum fits into it as well, I believe. Oh, yes. Channing Tatum's character is a former astronaut believed to have been lost on a previous mission, Mm. but in actuality went to go work for Cypher and Etienne on this evil mining project. Cypher always provides the technology. Channing Tatum's going to be like the on the ground where the ground is the asteroid, the on the ground muscle kind of thing, who has a lot of piloting and driving skills from being a trained astronaut. Yeah, that makes total sense. And that's why why we've never heard of him before, but he still has mm-hmm. that connection to the family. That's how they find yep. out about it. It's like maybe yep. maybe some sort of like satellite imaging picked up a photo of this long lost brother. I'm going to I'm going to go real far and say he's been up there the entire time, which is part of why he's so on board with what Cypher and Edion is doing is cuz He's so disconnected from Earth. It's been so long since he's seen people that it's had a psychological effect for him and he only believes in the mission. And it's only through the power of human connection as he starts to experience with the family in the 11th movie that he's able to come back around and become a good guy who cares about family and humans and the Earth and stuff and is like, I shouldn't have done that. Thanks for teaching me, guys. This makes so much sense. The The final fight is not ever fought with muscles and punches, but with family. You're absolutely right. That's absolutely what happens. Yeah. Yeah, he's just been isolated and, and away for so long. He's forgotten what family is. Yeah. This is very much kind of an ad astra situation, if you will, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Except it isn't. Except it isn't at all. (laughs) (laughs) It moves slightly faster. I think it's a slightly faster pace than Astra. I mean, just a little. Just slightly. You gotta, yeah, we want you, we want you on the, on the edge ish of your seat. Yeah. I mean, there was that pretty epic race scene in Astra with the two uh, lunar landers or whatever. (laughs) That was actually really good, though. I love that. Oh, yeah. Compared to a car driving through Mm. a tank that drives through an airplane. Yeah. You know, it's slightly different. Yeah. It was also one of those scenes that I like watching the movie and getting out of that afterwards. I was like, I really feel like one of the producers was like, hey, listen, this is a sci-fi movie. And if you want to put asses in seats, you got to put like some kind of exciting bullshit here in the middle <laughs> so that we can put it in the trailer. Cause the trailer has a lot of that scene and the movie, that's not a large portion of the movie. Oh yeah. I remember being interested in the shot that they have on the moon where it's like mm-hmm. super banal and there's advertising everywhere. Like there's the McDonald's and everything. Yeah. The fucking Applebee's sign. Holy shit. I thought that was that was so interesting and like that's what they were going to dive into in that movie. Mm-hmm. It went slightly different direction. Yeah. It was very much a story about a boy and his dad and yes. space was there too. <laughs> but space was not necessarily the focus. Right. Oh, and what's her name from Russian Doll was also there and she killed it. Oh my God, she was. You're right. Russian Doll is so good. Right? Like, holy shit. That's something that completely blew me away. I am not a big Groundhog Day fan. 
especially in the sense that I am culturally aware of a lot of it and I've seen lots of bits and pieces of it, but I've never really watched it from start to finish. But it's it's definitely one of those Gen X canonized movies that didn't connect with me in the same way. So I've never had a ton of interest in the concept. Like there's some stuff I've been exposed to that one particular next gen episode and stuff like that, that got me really interested in it. But Russian doll itself was like, that's probably my favorite exploration of that concept so far. I would, I would agree. It's the only TV show I've ever watched, finished watching and then immediately started rewatching it. Right. Yeah. Like that's, that's one of those ones where you're, start to finish and you're just like, ha, oh, God, I kind of just want to start it all over again. Like just back to episode one right away. What am I going to notice that I didn't see last time? Right. It, oh my gosh. And, and going back through it, those second, you know, multiple times you, you do, you pick out all of those little other things. Oh, yeah. Oh. yeah. I'm on my, I want to say I've watched it three times now, but it might, I, I've watched it three times and I've watched one or two episodes like a bunch. I think I've watched it. I, I, I mean, I watched it those two times and then I must have watched, rewatched it again. Oh, it was so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Natasha Leone. Anyway, yes, Natasha Leone was an Ad Astra. The thing that completely blows me away, my absolute favorite thing about Russian Doll is that it got renewed for a second season. What in the fucking world is a season two of that going to look like? I would believe literally anything right now. I know they're going to do well, but like so yeah. much of me just doesn't want there to be a second season because it was so perfect as just this this story that just unraveled like itself and and the characters and you get to learn about them and the relationships with the like it was just so perfect. I'm okay with it. I feel like I've gotten to the point where I've inter- I've watched enough media that I care deeply about that either has too many sequels or doesn't quite stick the landing that I've internalized the ability to kind of separate it and say, like, even if they make a season two and it's like hot garbage, if it's like fucking... Tokyo Drift? Tokyo Drift. I, w- I was trying to remember the name of the ninth Star Wars movie. Even if it's just like, fuck awful, I'm still going to love season one kind of thing. Like the last half season of Battlestar Galactica is kind of crap. And Ronald D. Moore wrote himself into a goddamn corner. But that series is incredible. You're absolutely right. Like the the Hobbit movies don't make the Lord of the Rings trilogy a worse series. Right. Yeah. No, that's that's totally fair. At that point, once I start thinking about it in that sense, I'm never worried about sequels or remakes or reboots or whatever because i'm like well if it makes it better great and if it doesn't fuck it i don't care i'm never gonna watch it again i'm not required to watch it if i want to rewatch russian doll i can just watch season one and be like that was great mm-hmm. and it is great like nobody's gonna rewatch all nine star wars movies everybody's gonna watch like whichever one of the prequels they like four five and six and whichever one of the sequels they like like I think it's weird to me that they numbered the films, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, but that's my Star Wars, man. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I mean, and eight was a great movie to end on. I I know eight gets some level of flack as well, but that movie was. Yeah. I like Ryan Johnson. He's one of my all time favorite directors. Yeah. I have been a fan of his since before Brick came out kind of thing. And. I was so happy when they gave him a Star Wars. I had one major criticism, but I felt like he really nailed it. And I was really, really happy with what he did. And it was very unfortunate that the producers were just kind of fucked the whole thing up in the other direction for the next movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, bringing back J.J. Abrams to undo every single great idea that came out of that second movie. Has there ever been a piece of media that's done that? That's literally brought somebody in and be like, cool, now just like undo everything the last guy did. It was pop culture as politics kind of thing. Like, all right, you're elected, you're in charge. Okay, first first thing, undo everything the person right before me did. As much as you can. Yeah, I'm trying to think of another example and I really can't. I don't think it would have happened with anything other than Star Wars and the way that they were tackling it. 
but I feel like we've perhaps ventured a little far afield. Yes, we're not even talking about Fast and the Furious anymore. So yes, Channing Tatum and Natasha Lyonne are stuck on an asteroid. God, okay, yes, hello. (laughs) I am extremely invested in this already. Are more of my crushes there? Please tell me. (laughs) Yes, every single one of your crush is just on this asteroid in their own little pod. They're all isolated from each other, and they all think they're doing their own missions, but they're all actually doing things together and only you can save them. (laughs) Okay, man. It it sounds like the 10th Fast and Furious movie is going to be a really good self insert for me. (laughs) I wonder what my, I wonder what my character's name is going to (laughs) be. If I've learned anything from the Fast and the Furious, your name is going to be something really, really dumb, like Brian or Luke or mm-hmm. Jason, like it's just going to be something. I've already got a really generic white guy first name. Like I've got that part down. Yeah. So then you just need a really, really badass last name. All right. I'm going to have to think about this. Oh, fun fact. You've probably been vaguely aware of this concept, but you never thought about it directly. But did you know that there is fast and furious fan fiction? Oh, huh. totally probably is. Isn't there? There's probably quite a bit of it. I actually have never checked to see how much there is on AO3. Maybe I should do that right now. But I know this because at one point, because I thought it was funny, I went looking to see if they ever made novelizations of the Fast and Furious movies. Mm. Because, you know, sometimes they'll make novelizations of movies that are not based on books. They'll be like, okay, well, let's just turn this into a book and, you know, crank it out. Turns out they didn't do that. However, some very enterprising person put together and published a collection of fast and furious fan fiction as a published book which i own a physical copy of so what is this called i'm ordering it right now um let me see if i can i'm gonna have to edit this out because i gotta type for a minute here but let me find it for you yes here it is too fast too furious the novel by tons of people edited by dominic lynn or line perhaps i'm not sure which i will send you this information now yeah, I'm I'm going to put the link to it in the details for this podcast. So in case anybody else is curious, it is 160 pages. I was actually remembering this a little bit incorrectly. The authors divide up Too Fast, Too Furious, the movie, and each write portions of it in their own style. Oh, that's beautiful. Really fun. Yes. I, so do they just write about Too Fast, Too Furious, the movie, or do they also include the turbocharged prequel? I do not believe they include the turbocharged prequel, but I will admit I have not made it all the way through this book yet. (laughs) Well, presumably that would be at the beginning, right? Yeah, it was not at the beginning. Oh, it leaves so many questions unanswered. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? How did O'Connor get that GTR there? Mm -hmm. You know what? Now that I think about it, I don't think I've seen the turbocharged prequel to Too Fast, Too Furious. (laughs) Uh, it's the perfect movie. It's. I, I have you seen the other one, Los Bendeleros? No. Highly recommend these if you want the full. Oh my god! It's Los Bendeleros is directed by Vin Diesel. Written and directed by Vin Diesel. Oh, oh man! You have given me a gift, Kit. Oh yes, it's beautiful. It it answers the question of what was Dom doing during Too Fast, Too Furious. Mm, mm, okay. He was off having his own adventures. Yeah, exactly. Han shows up and does the one thing that Han does, which is state that he has not yet been to Japan. <laughs> yeah, his two character traits, eating and letting the audience know that he has not yet been to Japan. That's, that is Han as a character. It's great. Oh my God. I love Han as a like. We are making fun of him for there not being a whole lot to him, but I got to admit, I'm like, I fucking love that character. Like, Sung Kang is such a great actor that he gets me to care so much about this person. Of course. Like, there's a reason why they made three prequels to Tokyo Drift, and it's because (laughs) Han is such a great character. Right? (laughs) Oh, God. I haven't thought of them as the three prequels to Tokyo Drift before. That's what they are. You're not wrong. It's great. 
Yeah, and it's also why I'm so glad that it's presumably it seems the entire premise of Fanine is bring back Han because how the heck can Deckard Shaw be part of the family and Han still be dead? That is just not fair. Like, yeah, that's that was my entire thing coming out of eight, and I was I was I was like that was great, that was fun. What the fuck? Justice for Han. Like I've I've been a hard team justice for Han, so I'm really interested to hear how they're gonna tackle that. Like what's the what's the in-universe explanation of how he is still there and fine? Like are they just gonna be like, oh, he survived and was in a coma or whatever? I mean, that's the, there's two ways people come back from the dead in these movies, right? There's oh, he's fine, he slipped out the window while the car exploded. Or right. He is now some sort of robotic cyborg that's controlled by some sort of mysterious corporation. So maybe the nobody org brings him back. Wait, who's a cyborg? Brixton. Oh, right. Yeah, I guess they did bring him back. He died because, I don't know, Hobbs or Shaw killed him, like shot him right in the head. And then he's back alive and he's fine. It's like playing a and d session with only two people. It's fine, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fine and it's fun, but nothing important can happen. Right. Yeah. Oh, well, except for establishing that you can bring any character back from the dead at any point whatsoever in this universe. Oh, I love it. Racing movies. Yeah. Well, and Gis- so Giselle also has to come back, right? Oh, yeah. No. Well, she'll be in for 10. Right. Or, or she's like the mid credit scene of Fanine. Of Fanine, yeah. God, like I know we're joking, but I'm like, I would be really legitimately into that. You know, like there, you know how there are some movies where the plot holes turn you off and you're like, oh, this is dumb and this is bad writing. And there are other movies where people are like, you, you understand that this is a plot hole that like you can fit several freight trains through. And you're just like, yeah, 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 shut up. I'm having fun. That is the entirety of the Fast Saga. The Fast Saga is a soap opera a quarter mile at a time. Like, <laughs> and once you accept that, it's way more fun. Oh, yeah. And it's why Five is so good. It learned that these are not serious movies. We can just have fun. And like, that's something that shows through, right? Like, you can tell that the people who made five, both from a like writing perspective and a directing perspective and an acting perspective, knew what they were making and were having fun with making this fun popcorn movie. Yeah. I know that Tokyo Drift gets a lot of flack because it's easy to dunk on, but it's, I feel like it was the start of that sort of realization that like, yeah, these movies are dumb. Like it had... It had the little Bow Wow character with his Hulk car. Uh-oh. Yeah, when, when's he coming back? When's little Bow Wow going to be in, in one of these things? Oh my gosh, we got to bring him back, right? Yeah, what was his name? Twinkie. Twinkie, yeah. Yeah, we got to have Twinkie back. It was, I think, the only movie where someone's just genuinely been called Twink the whole time, and it's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's not in a homophobic way at all. It's great. Yeah, only the first movie is overtly homophobic. That's true, actually. They do kind of just sort of vaguely drop that. Yes. The f- yeah. And the fourth movie gets, like, real weirdly sexist. Did it really need to end with Dom calling that guy that he just killed a pussy? Like, really? Yeah. Uh, anyway. Jumping back to Tokyo Drift for a second, the first time I watched it, because everybody, like, dunks on Tokyo Drift, I watched it, and at the end of it, I was like, okay, because this was, this was years ago when I watched the Fast and Furious saga with my friend Matt Wiggins for the first time. And I watched all of the movies in numerical order in the lead up to, I think, either six or seven hitting theaters. Mm-hmm. And I watched three and I was like, okay, I get why people bag on it. But like, that was like, everybody was a little one dimensional, but that was kind of decent from a narrator perspective. There's no huge plot holes. There's no ridiculous bullshit. Like it just, it's a fun story that doesn't have too much attached to it. That just kind of goes. A lot of the stuff is handled well and not all of it's handled like amazingly, but I was like, this is a little unfairly dunked on kind of thing. I agree. I think part of it 
is it gets dunked on by car people who don't understand a few things. One, it's not a car movie. Right. Not at all. And and Justin Lin, who directed, what, three, four, five, six, I want to say seven, and then nine, ten, and eleven? He directed, yeah, three, four, five, six, nine, ten, eleven. You're correct. Yeah. Like, I think he realized that. He was the one that sort of understood that these are these are not car movies. And like... So like the car people get upset about stupid things like, oh, the, you know, the Lancer Evo does is four wheel drive. You can't drift it and whatever. Yeah. Like that's a, I I don't care. Right. And that's exactly like, that's not what those movies are about. Also, one other thing, they did actually make that Lancer Evo that they drift in that movie. They modified it to be two wheel drive. Anyway, that's a side (laughs) rant. Uh (laughs) That's awesome. I, right and like they made that 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 sweet mustang that they drift at the end too uh like and that's specifically why there was that scene with the hood off to prove that they actually mm-hmm. built that car i i really legitimately love the cars in that movie even though car people dunk on it because they don't get what like that movie was doing yeah it was a fun movie and it was just stupid and fun and it was like the first foray into that sort of popcorny Fast and the Furious. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, because that was what they tried to do more of with four, but they went way too gritty. And then five, they were like, okay, well, what if we do the ensemble cast thing, but with the fun of Tokyo Drift? And that's why five's the best one, basically. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Although four, yeah. like they were so close with four with that oil tanker in the Dominican Republic where they have Letty and Han and and Dom and and Leo and Rico, mm. like all doing that, that. That was sweet. And then Dom's like, well, I don't need you anymore. Everybody leave. And it's just going to be me and O'Connor doing stuff for the other hour and a half. Yeah, for the <laughs> for the entire rest of the movie. It's like, oh, okay. That's that's fine. But 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 what about what about Letty? What if you Yeah. What about Han? Speaking of Letty. I just noticed, and I had not heard about this previously, that on top of the fact, so we've got we've got ten and eleven coming up. Mm-hmm. We've got an untitled Hobbs and Shaw sequel, of obviously. Of course, there is another spinoff film that is supposedly being put together that is going to focus on the women of the Fast and Furious universe. Oh, that sounds great. There's basically no details other than the people who are writing it which is Nicole Perlman, one of the writers of Guardians of the Galaxy, Captain Marvel, and Detective Pikachu, and Geneva Robertson-Dwarrett, who worked on the Tomb Raider reboot. I mean, my, my, my biggest question is, well, I guess there's two questions. Giselle has to be in it, right? Like that's... Yeah, that's why we got to bring her back. Because uh, otherwise it's just Letty and Mia. And does Suki come back then? Oh, Okay. I think so. She's the only other person that's like super into cars in those movies. And they did her <laughs> so dirty. They did. Yeah. Cause that was, that was Devin Aoki, right? Yeah. From, from too fast, too furious. Like they did her so dirty because in my opinion, Tej is kind of dating her throughout that movie. And, and they're pretty serious at the end of too fast, too furious. And then in f- six, Tej goes with Hobbs to that like car show where they buy all the cars. Oh yes. Yeah. And Tej makes this like comment of like, yeah, when cars leave you, they don't take half your stuff and, and, and whatnot. And so like, he's just like, who else could he possibly be referring to? That's a good point. I didn't think about that. And so like, they just break up off camera Mm -hmm. and that's sad. I want, I want, I want to learn, more about what Suki did because she was like this great driver and she was awesome. Yeah, she was a cool character in that movie. Justice for Suki. Justice for Suki. (laughs) Well, Kit, thank you very, very much for coming on this podcast. I feel like we ventured very far afield in the back half from space, but I think that's because we kind of really came up with a fucking killer way to raise the stakes and drive on lasers and get Channing Tatum up in the mix and really kind of build on the key themes of the Fast and Furious so far, which are family, big name actors, 
and increasingly dramatic spectacles. Yeah. And I feel like you answered that question. I feel like you've told us how we're going to get there. I, I, I would agree. I think, I think we've got a pretty good, mo- well, almost a two-parter movie in the works here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, as, as we're wrapping up here, is there anything that, any final thoughts that you would like to leave our audience with uh, before we sign off for the episode? No, I certainly do not. Do you have anything you want to promote that's not yours? <laughs> Ooh, that's a good question. I did that once. I bought some ad space in a podcast just to tell people to watch a particular TV show that I liked. Everybody watch Russian Doll. Mm-hmm. Although I think that's probably got enough ad time on this this particular episode. What have I been really into recently? People should read the uh, The House on the Cerulean Sea. Thought it was a great book. Hmm. Who's that written by? Uh, I should know that off the top of my head. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> House in the Her- Cerulean Sea by T.J. Clune. It's just a, it's a great book, and everyone should read it. Okay. Well, you heard it here, folks. That is how they are going to get to space, and you have your homework. Please go and read The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Clune. Kit will not be joining us next episode, but there will be a quiz on this book, and I expect you to be prepared. Thank you once again, Kit. I very much appreciate you taking some time away from your fast and furious academic pursuits to spend a little time with us plebeians here down in the pop culture minds. Yeah, of course. It's uh, It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. And have a great night. You too. Or something. I don't know. Fucking. Fucking. And then that is the end of the episode because I didn't think of a good outro. Goodbye.